Hello, welcome to She's Wild, the podcast for women in land and development. I'm your host, Nancy Sarak. For almost two decades, I have been a land broker on the West Coast of Florida, immersed in some remarkable commercial real estate deals. She's Wild is all about professional women in the land development and commercial real estate industries. We are dedicated to advancing their success. Please join me weekly as we explore some inspiring stories of women who are reshaping the communities that they live, work, and play in all across North America. Hello, welcome back to She's Wild, the podcast for women in land and development. Today's guest is Vicki Lee, the Senior Vice President of Development of Focus in Chicago. Vicki, welcome to She's Wild. I always say how excited I am for every single guest, but I really, really am so thrilled to have you here today because you are the example of someone who I don't know before today and that I reached out to completely blindly on LinkedIn and said, Hey, I love your background. I think you would make an amazing guest on my show. Will you come on and talk to me? So I'm super pumped to have you here today. And I would love for you to just take a minute to do a little bit better of an introduction than just your name and your firm. Tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you're working on at Focus. Absolutely. First of all, thank you for having me. I'm glad you reached out to me because I I love what you're doing here, especially introducing women into the industry. So as you said, my name is Vicki Lee. I am Senior Vice President of Development here at Focus. I've been at Focus for a little over eight years now. And actually, I was born and raised in Hawaii. So when people find out I moved to Chicago, they're in a bit of a shock. But I do like Chicago a lot. love all four seasons. And actually, I was first introduced to Chicago because I went to Notre Dame for undergraduate in architecture. And I did end up practicing for about five years in D.C. for a firm called 30,000 Partners, then went back to business school at Cornell and then came here right after graduation. So I mainly head up our Midwest mall redevelopment and also lead our team to expanding our company into the Southeast. So Tampa Bay region, Miami, as well as Charlotte, Atlanta, Raleigh. Awesome. So I'm always really uh, interested in how folks have found the world of development or or as I normally say, land and development as a career path. Uh, But in your case, you are already sort of studying something in the field, right? Architecture. Mm -hmm. Tell me what originally led you to choose architecture as a field? And then as a follow up to that, how did you go from architecture to development as a career path? Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to be an architect since six or as far as I can remember. It was just particularly driving by home the night where you're seeing how families interact in their homes. And so to that end, I've always been attracted to multifamily or um, anything to do with housing, actually. And so that's what got me into architecture. And when I applied for schools such as Notre Dame, I specifically looked for architecture programs. And Notre Dame was great because they had a year abroad in Rome. So I was like, you know, sign me up. I don't need any other any other sales on that. And then as I was practicing, unfortunately, I graduated right at the Great Recession in 2008. Luckily enough, I did have a job lined up and I did retain my job for five years. But during that time, it made me realize that being in architecture doesn't give you a whole lot of control of 
the real estate world. And it made me wonder, is this really what I want to be in? And is this how I want to make an impact? Because being in development, you, I have a better chance of making a bigger impact than, than just architecture. And so I decided to go back to school, explore that route, and also business school being a, a degree that can essentially launch you into different professional growth paths. I thought, you know, what if real estate isn't what I want to do at all? That would be a chance to explore other things, but it ended up being what I wanted to do. And so I stuck with it. Awesome. So when you finished your master's uh, degree, did is that when you moved from the DC area back to Chicago or? Yeah, you, actually, you had my you already moved. degree was in New York. Okay. Yeah. So you and went from I, DC to New York and then back to Chicago. Yep. So how does a girl from Hawaii end up in like the three largest metropolitan areas <laughs> in the U? I mean, some of the, the largest ones, like how right. did you go from growing up on an island to being in a big city? Yeah, so I've always felt like I didn't, I wouldn't have enjoyed a professional growth within Hawaii itself just because it's so small and very limited. So I've always imagined myself elsewhere. New York was at the top of mind at first because that's what you see on TV, right? Growing up in big city and everything. But then as I grew up, I realized I craved more of the Midwestern lifestyle in terms Mm. of this is still a great big city, but everyone is super friendly and engaging. Yeah, Chicago is a great city. Um, yeah. It can be really cold, but it's a great city. And there's a lot of <laughs> culture and fun things and to do there and to visit. And it's just good people, you know, like oh, yeah. everybody I know from the Chicago area or that have moved, friends of mine have moved up there. They just love it. So I know it's good people up there. Yeah. And I love um, the cold. <laughs> you love the cold. Okay. I but that, well, I mean, obviously, if you went to D.C., then New York and Chicago, you there must be a part of you that loves that. Right. <laughs> but that is certainly not what you grew up with. Right. So did you get back to Hawaii very much? I do. My parents still live there. And so I try to go once a year or so, but tickets are pretty expensive. So I do limited. But then I have flown them up here once or twice so that they can experience the, the Midwestern lifestyle and the four seasons. My mom in particularly did not have not seen snow since she moved from Hong Kong. And so she would just really wanted to experience it. That's awesome. So when you um, began working with Focus, I think you said a little bit over eight years ago, what were some of the things that you did there? What were some of your earlier roles? Yeah. So when I first started, I was a development manager, and that essentially means being the day-to-day on a job from front to end, um, being involved in the entitlements, hiring the consultants, getting drawings done, and then sending out to our GC team. We do have our own general contractor team. So it's literally walking across the office to get their input on pricing. But then when it when the building is under construction, acting as owner's rep, so reviewing any shop drawings and RFIs and any problems that come up and then making decisions on behalf of ownership. And then you just kind of went from there inside the company. Yeah. Um, so talk to me a little bit about your expansion into the Southeast. Uh, I know you rattled off the markets. Um, I, I will confess, I didn't know that you guys were down here in Tampa. I'm a little embarrassed by that uh, mm-hmm. because I am a little bit more familiar now with the project that mm-hmm. you guys are doing in St. Pete. But um, I would love to know kind of what you're doing in those markets, like what sorts of projects you're focused on and what you guys are hoping to accomplish. Yeah. And so we started looking at expanding probably a couple of years ago, actually, right before COVID, but then COVID hit, so no one could fly out anyways. Um, The idea being that we have a certain growth projection that we want to hit and 
doing developments only in one city probably won't get us there. And so we needed to look elsewhere. And we basically visited a bunch of cities and then analyzed what the, the rent growth were, potential were, what the income of that population was, et cetera. Because right now our bread and butter is multifamily and we want our first building outside of Chicagoland to also be multifamily because we know it so well. And so in Miami Brickell, as well as St. Petersburg, we we found A plus sites because we want to expand it with like luxury class A, the best building ever. Our site in Brickell is an acre of just shy of an acre. It'll be about 517 units, 40 stories high, luxury class A, rental, multifamily, about a block away from Brickell City Center. So a really great location. We Amazing location. Yeah. And then our St. Petersburg one, also a great location. It's about two blocks south of Central and then four blocks away from the Bay. It's 367 units and um, 24 stories high. And you guys closed on that. Was that this year or last year? St. Petersburg was this year in June. And then the Miami one was in November of last year. So when you guys see uh, headlines, I mean, obviously, if you just recently closed it, you're quite familiar with what's happening down in the in the St. Pete downtown right. district with the TROP. But seeing that even get further along, especially I think it was, you know, last week or the week before when it was like all over the news again. Right. Uh, and for those listeners who are not, who are here today with us, but not as intimately familiar with the St. Pete market, the Tampa Bay Rays is our baseball team. And for at least 10 years, if not longer, there's just been just crazy talk about them leaving and not only leaving the region, but leaving St. Pete, coming over to the Tampa side of the of the bay. And just every year or so, it's just always tons of news around like where are the Rays going to go. And they finally just recently announced they finally made a deal with the city on the property and it's going to completely transform. Uh, and I'm just doing this, Vicki, for the folks that are listening. It's like an 86, I think 86 or 90 acre parcel completely going to transform downtown St. Petersburg. And your site is really what? Maybe four right blocks there. diagonal from, from that? Yeah. And actually, if I looked at the plan correctly, they're moving the stadium a little bit over to the east as well. So it'll even be even closer to to where our site is. And it's so exciting to see that happen, especially with a group like Heinz, who is a big developer that can actually get this done. And 100%. for to see so much revitalization coming into St. Petersburg is great because Central Street, while very active and very energetic, especially at nighttime as I as I walk down the street, I think this redevelopment will take it to the next level. Yeah, I, I certainly think that will, I mean, just a huge catalyst, but you got your project, you've got, uh, I think it's 400 Central is another one. It, it, I'm super excited for that area of downtown St. Pete. I think it's way overdue. Um, and it's going to make it a much bigger city here regionally. St. Pete is a great um, office market, but it is a smaller version than what we have over in Tampa. Right. Uh, so to know that all that investment is coming in is is pretty remarkable. So I was looking at um, your St. Pete project. Looks like, and forgive me if you already stated this, it's 24 stories, correct? Correct. And mostly all multifamily. You do have a, a commercial component. We do. On the southwest corner of the building, there will be space for retail and we it's a little early to talk to retailers, but we we hear that people are interested. Yeah, um, and I'm sure you guys have been over in the the Edge District and seeing mm -hmm. kind of all their commercials. So it's down there. It's yeah. down there all along Central. It's down yeah. there. There's yeah. I don't think you're 
Is it 6,000 square feet? Is that what you guys are putting in that? Yeah, you're not going to have any issue. No. There's going to be and, folks like all over you yeah. guys. And it'll be great because I, I appreciate the type of retail that is on Central with like the the more intimate local shops that, that have character. And so we're excited to have something like that in our building as well. Yeah, it's really what I think makes St. Pete, St. Pete. Right. It's so different than what you would find in like downtown Tampa. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really does give it its own character, which is really cool. Um, okay. So when you're looking beyond the St. Pete market, I think you rolled off Atlanta and Charlotte. I think there was one other location. Raleigh. Raleigh. Um, I used to live in Raleigh, which is fun. Uh, what sorts of projects are you doing there? Have you already purchased there? Or are you guys still looking? What's kind of your business plan in those markets? We haven't purchased anything yet. We are still looking. I think right now, given the state of the market, we want to be able to service our current projects well first. But then as an effort to diversify our portfolio, I think our next ones that we want to find um, would be a little bit more neighborhood slash suburban where we would look to do a lower, I don't want to say lower density because we do like to do 250 to 300 units, but just lower height, maybe a wrap or podium style building. and. And so similar to what we do in Chicago, where we do a lot of urban infill buildings, new development, we also do a lot of suburban buildings that aren't garden style, though. It's more live, work, play, check all the boxes, near or transit, walkable to grocery, walkable to restaurants and bars. And so we would be looking for that same typology in our next development. Uh, so if somebody has a site in one of those markets, they should be reaching out to you or somebody. Yeah, absolutely. Team. Um, so in your past eight plus years, or even, you know, if you want to go back to when you were in New York, uh, what's been your most favorite deal that you've ever been involved with or worked on? So it would be absolutely my first deal here at Focus. It's called the Atworth and Melody Farm. It's about 260, it is exactly 260 units sitting on about seven acres. And it was kind of in partnership with Regency Centers who owned 50 acres of mm-hmm. land. And we bought the land from them, but we went through entitlement together. They built 270,000 square feet of new retail, which in this day and age is practically unheard of just given the state of retail. But they had a great vision that I that talked about earlier with um, with the liver play dynamic and having moments within their new retail center that would allow for, for gathering, intimate gatherings and things like um, con- outside concerts or outdoor yoga. And so you can envision that those Instagrammable moments, right? And so it was very successful because it was, they were able to get Whole Foods to come and then also other retailers like Nordstrom Rack and then lots of local restaurants. And I think they were able to lease up their retail in a really relatively very short amount of time and they weren't shy about turning away retailers that didn't fit the dynamic so i have a lot of respect for them and and being able to maintain their vision but then on our side the 260 multifamily units we were able to build that project ahead of schedule and also under budget and was able to lease up the entire apartment in about 10 months wow 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 like i'm like (laughs) Okay, ahead of schedule, like almost never happens. That's amazing. Right. Congratulations. <laughs> Under budget, I've not heard those words. In a long Gosh, time. <laughs> and probably since like 2012 or 13. I mean, it's it's been right. a good decade. Yeah. Um, especially now. And then leasing up so quickly, like really remarkable. 
So the stars really aligned. Like, how do you follow that? <laughs> exactly. So every time, like, oh, let's try to save even more. Let's try to be even more ahead of schedule. But obviously, there's a lot of um, outside factors. Sure. So um, it's a great, great segue because I jotted down, you know, to go back to your architecture days. Mm-hmm. Most of the women who I interview that are on the development side, like pure, like they're managing developers like like you. Uh, they didn't necessarily come through the engineering or the architecture side of the business. Uh, that has got to help you tremendously, not only the language and vocabulary, but really understanding how buildings like are built, right? Or designed mm-hmm. and how they function. How much do you think that has helped you in your career growth and in your success? It has definitely helped a lot. And the reason being, as you mentioned, having the the dictionary in my back pocket where when I'm speaking with the consultants and when I'm speaking with the general contractors, they know that I'm not just saying something just for the sake of saying it. And and I have some background behind what I'm saying and I know what I'm talking about. And so that provides validity and provides trust. And so I think having that background, I build a good relationship up front, being able to speak a language and being able to have a dialogue instead of asking for information that may may sometimes be needless, but then, and then also, you know, going back and forth and it just makes the process easier. Do you, in your role, do you, when plans are, you know, I know you guys where I would expect for you guys to have like a whole architecture team that you either have in-house or that you hire on projects. Does that experience come out in the design phase? Do you kind of leave your fingerprint on things while they're in design too? Like, you know, I want it to look like this. That yeah, happen? absolutely. So we, we don't have an in-house, but as you said, we do hire architects outside. And actually, our Tim, our CEO, is also an architect by background. And then our executive vice president, also an architect. And in fact, two to three others in our team also have architecture background. So you see okay. a pattern of the type of people we do like to hire because our, our um, motto is to really build buildings that can make an impact and make a good have a good design sense and also be profitable. But I think when we, whenever we do start a project and have concept design, Tim and I are heavily involved in terms of providing comments and providing even sometimes ideas, obviously being respectful of, respectful of the consultants and, and sure. not, you know, crossing a line, but, but we do have our preferences and offer opinions. And sometimes when we're looking at new projects where, you know, we just want to see if it's even feasible, we'll just take pen and paper and draw it out and see if it works before we officially hire an architect. Yeah, no, that's, that's an amazing skill. I, you know, I tell people a lot and I mention it a lot on the show, I'm married to a civil engineer in the business and what that's done for just my knowledge has been really remarkable. You know, Mm -hmm. it, it's really interesting. A lot of folks think that we have pillow talk and I'm like, please, God, no. Like I I live and breathe this all day. And so does right. he. Like the last thing we want to do is talk business when we both get home. Right. However, my learning trajectory, just really understanding like the whole project, other than just being around it my whole life, um, you know, or my adult life, being able to pick up the phone and say, hey, I've encountered this. I don't know what this means. Can you help me understand? It's mm-hmm. just like a catapult. Like it's really made right. a huge difference for me. Uh, so I can only imagine if you studied it for four or five, five years, probably, um, how much that would really be a strong foundation. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And the where it shows up the most is when 
you see one of your consultants make a decision and you know right off the bat that that is an expensive decision and probably uh, unnecessary and you can course correct it. Like, you know, like, oh, that's not going to work. Right. You know, or um, lean into new trends. So let's talk about trends. How much uh, or do you ever look at those designs and say, like, this is a trend that I'm watching or that I'm interested in and I want it to look like this or I want it to make sure the functionality is here for some new trends? Like, does that come into play for you? More so on the functionality side. For example, during COVID, a lot of people were working from home. And while we see a lot of people coming back into the office, especially in Chicago, I forget what the exact percentage was. I think a lot of people are experiencing more flexibility where maybe they come in four days a week and then work from home one day a week and et cetera. And so a lot of the trends that we're seeing is apartment buildings being flexible and providing work areas or workstations where they can actually have a space to themselves so that they can work there instead of being in the kitchen table or the counter or even sometimes in your bedroom on your bed with the, in the background. And so having that available and yet, and also providing more building amenities that are related to that. So we've expanded co-working spaces in our building that it would be free to all residents to use so that they can get maybe even, even a private room if they want to work from home on site, but still be outside of their home, they can have that optionality. Yeah, um, so during COVID, we were... Um... We were fairly open. Right. You know, the Tampa Bay region was closed for about five weeks, is what I tell mm-hmm. people. Uh, and it's interesting that you mentioned earlier in the in our conversation that um, people couldn't travel. I knew in June of 2020 that things were about to pop off here in the Tampa Bay region because I had folks coming from driving, driving from Atlanta, Mm. Charlotte, New York, they were doing like road trips down to Florida and they would walk into my office. I was in a co-work space. They would walk in and they would say, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be meeting (laughs) in person. We have like kind of this company directive. Yeah. But we know Florida is open and we know that if we're not down here looking at sites and talking to brokers like you, like we are going to miss the opportunity. So we're here. And I was like, what? And it was happening so frequently that I was like, oh my God, things are about to get crazy. And so it was, it was actually really wonderful because I could tell all my landowners, like, we need to sell. I was like, the guy on TV, sell, sell, sell. Like, yeah, like <laughs> let's get everything on the market. Um, because there's just, I could just see the demand train just was like coming for, right. for land. Exactly. Um, not to mention the demand for folks that were moving here too. It was like all happening at the same time. Um so it doesn't surprise me that you guys were like, oh, we're going to go down to the Tampa Bay region. I think everybody came down, uh, but but it's great. And I love the fact that you guys were saying like, how are things changing the functionality of the building? Because during that summer, I had two or three, I think three multifamily deals under contract, like prior to the big shutdown. And they were all in various stages. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to one of the developers, hey, are you guys changing your plans? Are you going to need like more time? Like what, like, tell me how this is happening. And he's like, why would we change our plans? And I said, because I think there's going to be a huge demand for co-work space. I think people may not, I don't know if people are going to go back to the office, but I think that apartment communities, the big clubhouse is great. But I was like, but I think people are going to want these like conference rooms in a place like not a phone booth, not like a tiny space, but a place where they can go and sit and have like some quiet time. 
Absolutely. And we chat, I remember the conversation, like we chatted about it in depth and I'm like, oh, it's cool to hear you saying, you know, three and a half years later. Oh yeah. That's like totally a thing. Yeah. Definitely. And we, we were a little lucky because when we were designing and building up in Northern suburbs, we had already sensed that happening. And so we started putting the co-working space in our buildings. And so I think we're one of the first to do that in the suburbs out, out here. Well, that's awesome. I wish we were doing work uh, back then. I hope that we could do work in the future as well. Um, I just have a couple more questions for you. Uh, when you look back at your career, mm-hmm. you know, I asked you about your favorite deal. What have you been most proud of? I've been most proud of taking the leap into doing this, going to business school and, and just leaving behind a job that I was on a trajectory and growth path and saying, you know what, let's do this. I, I will have to take out a giant loan for business school, but I'm going to take the leap of faith and, and do this and try it out. That's awesome. Um, I love that very much. And then what has been your biggest challenge? You know, it's it's a little similar similar to that in the sense where back when I was applying for different schools, I didn't say, let's, let's take the leap and try for the Harvards or the Stanfords. And so I regret not making those decisions. And so now as I assess making new decisions and new risks, like assessing, well, why not? Just give it a try and see if it happens. If the consequences aren't dire, then take the risk and give it a go. Yeah, I like to tell people, I mean, like what's the worst that can happen? If it's not death, you can recover from just about anything else. Exactly. If it's a $500 application fee, just do it, right? No, that's, that's fantastic. Okay. So um, with that, I'd like to, at the end of every interview, I love to ask three questions. Sure. Um, The first of those is, and I don't know, you may or may not have one of these, but I'd love to ask, is there a book or a podcast that you have read or listened to recently or at any point in your life that has been particularly inspiring or meaningful that you think everybody should check out? I really enjoyed reading In Praise of Difficult Women by Karen mm-hmm. Carbo. So for those of you who don't know, it's a bunch of short stories about women who have broken into their industry and have been um, atypical in the industry. And my favorite story is about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, where she attended Harvard, I think, one year later than her husband. And at that time, her husband had unfortunately had testicular cancer and so wasn't able to do a lot of the coursework and everything. So in addition to her own coursework, she dictated his papers and his notes and was able to carry the load for, for two of them for the for the majority of their um, law school. I didn't know that about her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to definitely put that on my reading list. I'll definitely add that to the show notes for folks. Um, I started asking that question really because I'm selfish and I listen to a ton of audiobooks. And I'm always looking for like the next one. And I love like career oriented mm-hmm. or really motivational uh, stories and and books because I feel like, you know, this is a pretty hard, challenging business. And I always need like somebody in my head being like, you can do it. So um, I love, I love that. I can't wait to read it. So thanks for sharing that. Um, and then I love to ask the question, that, um, you know, in your case, you went to architecture school and then you got into development. But if somebody were to call you just completely out of the blue one day, regardless of what they're studying or what their interests are, and they say, I really think I want to be a developer. Uh, what 
one piece of advice would you give them in order to help them be successful? So I would say to talk to anyone and everyone in the real estate industry, even if they aren't a developer, if they're a broker, zoning attorney, you name it, being able to speak to someone, you never know who knows someone else that may have a development position open. Because as I understand it, a lot of development firms like ourselves run pretty lean and there's no constant or no cycle of recruiting, unlike banking or consulting where there's like a schedule set schedule every year, you interview, you do this, and there's job availability. It's really depending on turn and, and need. And so the sooner you can speak with anyone, you can get on their radar so that they can recommend you. And also if there are no positions open to so just take the closest thing you can and learn about the industry because every, while it's a little different, every real estate industry has something to do with development and you can leverage your experience that way. Great advice. Thank you. Uh, and then finally, if um, if somebody wanted to follow what you guys are doing as a company or you in particular, where's the best place for them to follow you? Are you active on, obviously we connected over LinkedIn, but is that a place where you're active or do you have like other social media that folks could follow you on? LinkedIn is where I'm most active in relation to the, my profession, but then also our web, our company website, www.workwithfocus.com also has regular updates on what we're, we're doing in terms of our development. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for giving me time today and for joining me on the show, for sharing your story and, you know, going through like, you know, your advice and things that you love about what you do every day. It's incredibly meaningful for me to have somebody with your experience on the show. So thank you for that. And again, I will just reiterate, um, I really hope that we can do some business in the future. And I wish you guys the best of luck on your project in St. Pete. When you come down next time, please reach out to me. Let's connect. I'll grab you a drink or a meal and, you know, maybe show you something that you haven't seen in the market. Absolutely. And thank you All for right. having us. And I love what you're doing with the show in terms of getting the industry out to women. Yeah, absolutely. This, this is my legacy. In addition to selling land, I'm like, you know what, that's, I'm going to make this one difference. And this is my contribution. So thanks again for joining me. And we'll chat soon. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on another episode of She's Wild, the podcast for women in land and development. If you enjoyed today's episode, please go out and rate us right now so that other folks just like you can find us. And if you know a total rock star woman who's working in land and development or commercial real estate, who is either just getting started or is more seasoned, please tell her about this show. And finally, if you know someone who you think would make an excellent guest, I am always looking for inspiring women to interview and I would love your recommendations. Please connect with me on any of my social media accounts by searching Nancy Surak.